Hello and welcome into Airing It Out, a podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? Hey, it's, it's a football week. We're finished with the bye. I'm doing pretty well. How are you, John? Uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. we got a short week this week, you know, a, a Friday night game, which is not something you see too often uh, with Penn State. I honestly couldn't tell you the last time this happened, if ever. Uh, uh, well, well, last year, John. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair. But, on, you know, on, on the road like this against what, you know, some could perceive as a rivalry game, it could benefit Maryland, have a little bit bigger of an atmosphere because they're the marquee matchup this Friday night. Uh, you know, what – what do you, how do you think that, that shortened schedule kind of impacts Penn State? And what do you think overall of these, these Friday night games? Well, I think it doesn't impact Penn State as much as it would if Penn State wasn't coming off a bye. James Franklin said as much Tuesday at his, at his weekly press conference. If, if this was uh, just a shortened week, you know, Franklin is kind of a creature of habit. He likes every week the exact same schedule, doesn't like to change it at all. Um, obviously, when you have you know, a game Friday instead of Saturday, you've got to change a couple of things. But that's obviously made a whole lot easier by the fact that Penn State had last week off. So I don't think it's it's that much of a stretch. If anything, uh, Franklin said that, that the biggest thing for him is trying to keep his players busy on Friday. On Saturday, you can watch college football. On Friday, uh, not really. You know, I, I don't know if they're, they're binge watching, you know, Stranger Things on Netflix or what. But, you know, that's one thing you kind of want to keep your focus and and uh, that's a little bit more challenging on Fridays. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Obviously, you mentioned the game against Illinois last year. Uh, I, I think this is a definitely a, a different scenario than that one, although they were expected yeah, to Illinois win Illinois was awful. Yeah, and, you know, they're <laughs> less so. <laughs> and now the expectation is, you know, Maryland's, you know, obviously they lose a Temple last week, but they're a better team than I think most people anticipated this year. Uh, even with the loss to Temple, which was a pretty brutal loss considering Mike Loxley's uh, affinity for, you know, jamming five foot eight, 198-pound Anthony McFarland up the middle on fourth and goal, which I'm not going to understand ever, I don't think. But, uh, you know, not Narduzzi level. Five eight. He's 5'9". He's yeah, sorry, sorry, 5'9". I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to diminish him here. But, you know, it's, it's still like it's, it's that kind of stuff that, you know, makes you wonder how good this Maryland team is. You know, <laughs> I, I really don't know how you come to the conclusion that yeah. that's your best scenario. I know Josh Jackson was bad, but, I mean – you're better off running a QB power with him. He's a massive guy. Uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this Maryland team? And, you know, obviously I know you were, you were a bit higher on them after the Syracuse win, and now all of a sudden that loss to Temple sort of tempers that. So how have your expectations changed just the last two weeks? Well, I, I, think, I think everyone's expectations for Maryland overwhelmingly. It was, you know, they, they, they just beat the heck out of Syracuse, which at the time was a ranked team. And all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, you know, Maryland – is for real. You know, Josh Jackson looks like he's a decent QB. They've historically had some, you know, great playmaking running backs who are really fast. And I think we thought, wow, you know, uh, well, I know I did that, that this Maryland team was good enough to, to challenge Penn state. And then, you know, the next week we see, we see Syracuse struggle and we see Maryland struggle. And, you know, that was, that was unanticipated. That's, that's part of the fun of, of, early season college football. You know, you have your expectations for certain teams and a majority of the time, you know, it's dead on. But every now and then, you just have a team that just completely bucks the trend. And, and Maryland's one of those. In the beginning, it's like, oh, I, I think we, we, we got Maryland wrong. They're, they're a good team here. And then two weeks later, it's like, no, nah, I think we got them right. Yeah, that was just a flash in the pan. Syracuse isn't very good. It wasn't that we underestimated Maryland. It's that we overestimated Syracuse. So. All that being said, it should be 
a whole lot more competitive than the last two years. I don't think Penn State has actually allowed a touchdown in this series since 2016. They limited Maryland to a field goal each of the last two years. This offense is, is going to be better, you know, certainly this year. If for no other reason, then there's nowhere to really go but up uh, with how it's played Penn State before. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning, too, Maryland coming off a bye. Obviously, the Temple game was no war about a week and a half ago now. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's interesting here. It, it's like you mentioned that sort of you see Team X beat Team Y, and Team Y had huge expectations, so everyone assumes Team oh, this, X is Yeah, good. this this transit of property and, and, is tricky here, John. Yeah, but yeah I mean, it's but like, no, exactly this, how it works. We, yeah. we see this happen all the time early season college football where just because the team has a preseason ranking, when they lose, everyone assumes the team beat them good. Well, then, like you said, Maryland loses to Temple, then Temple loses to Buffalo, and we're inching closer to this circle of death being completed if, if Maryland beats Penn State, and then you've got a nice little transit of property circle there, which I'm sure Penn State fans would love to hear. Oh, but well, and, you know, it's, it's just weird, too, because, I mean, you know, sometimes you just have teams like Buffalo then, like it was like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, Buffalo's better. Then Buffalo gets killed by Liberty, uh, and then they do good the week after. Like, you, you, you just you don't know what to expect. Yeah, and that Buffalo team, like you said, a, a really weird Liberty. It's early season college football. It's, I mean, that's what all this is, and nobody knows anything. And, you know, finally, as we get into conference play here, I think we'll start to learn some things. But for the time being, it doesn't seem like we know a whole lot, uh, you know, and that's, that's going to make it tough to judge any of these games and these teams. But I still think it makes it interesting uh, this weekend because, like I said, in, from some standpoints, this sort of is a rivalry. It definitely is for Maryland. I know Penn State. Yeah, let's let's put. I think that's a good way to put yeah. it. I, I don't think anyone from Penn State. I mean, at least with Pitt, hey, it's in state. It was a rivalry at one point. Maryland, you know what? I think all time is like thirty nine. Penn State is thirty nine two and one against Maryland. This has never been a rivalry before. But from Maryland's perspective, oh yeah, this is a big deal. Yeah, and and I think you know what's interesting for Penn from Penn State's perspective with that is that a lot of these guys come sort of from that area, so players know each other more than anything, and I think that could contribute to the rivalry factor. Maybe not necessarily a rivalry rivalry, but increase the intensity of the game just because a lot of these guys going up against each other know each other. Uh, they played high school together. They played against each other in high school, and so you've got you've got two rosters with a lot of. Uh, intertwined relationships, I guess you could say, because obviously James Franklin recruited a lot of guys at, at Maryland. And, you know, uh, I'm sure Mike's, Mike Loxley can, uh, recruited a lot of guys that are at Penn State when he was at Alabama because, you know, he was the DMV guy when he was there. Uh, so, you know, you've got some, some continuity between these guys that allows for it to have a rivalry atmosphere for Penn State, even if it's not that rivalry game. And because it's that marquee matchup on a Friday night, I think we see that grow even more. And I think, you know, we see a really, really competitive game Friday night. And I don't, you know, even with – us sort of seeing that, you know, Maryland is who we thought they were. Uh, but I, I don't I don't think that's going to be the case this Friday. I think they're going to play above their heads uh, a little bit. And I think – I don't think an upset is that crazy. Do you? Uh, not that crazy. But uh, two weeks ago I was thinking, oh, man, I might, I might pick Maryland here in an upset. And, uh, and I'm like, nope, nope, I'm going to have Penn State uh, probably winning by double digits. Uh, but, I mean, you know, that being said, yeah, I liked how you put it. It'll be a rivalry atmosphere, even if it's not a rivalry game. And, you know, for, for people who aren't aware, uh, classes are canceled Friday afternoon at Maryland. And, I mean, that really is just because they need the parking for the stadium. But, you know, the, the fact is that, that, that this is seen as a, a huge game. This is, this is the one that Maryland has circled on its calendar. And, you know, in addition to that, the, the student demand for, for tickets was – um, you know, outrageous this season for the Penn State game. They they added about a, 
uh, an extra thousand seats uh, to their uh, uh, seating capacity added bleachers. So, I mean, you, you have a lot of the ingredients to a great, you know, atmosphere. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think Maryland is absolutely going to be juiced, but you know, Mike Loxley is, is kind of taking the page out of the James Franklin uh, playbook. He says, you know, we're treating this game just like any other. It's, it's no important, but no less important than our last game. And, and, you know, that's, that's the uh, kind of the atmosphere that, that he's trying to instill here that, you know, they're just going to take it one game at a time. So, I mean, it's worked for James Franklin uh, certainly seemed to have worked for Mike Loxley at Alabama. So, so yeah, I mean, I think this has the potential to be competitive, uh, but I, I mean, again, if you, if you just look on paper, uh, Penn State is the much more talented team, but you know, then again, I would have said that the last two weeks too, and, and neither were exactly a, you know, a blowout. I mean, Buffalo ended up being a blowout, but the, the first half was, was far from that. Yeah, and, and I think it's going to be interesting, too, with the atmosphere. You know, we could be looking at a, a relative split here just because, you know, College Park is relatively close to, to State College. So it's not going to be too difficult for Penn State fans to get down there. So I'll be interested to see, you know, what is the split here? Is this – are we looking at 60-40 or is it still like 80-20 Maryland, you know? Uh, but, but, you know, I imagine Penn State fans will be there in full force and we could see uh, a really competitive game on the field and in the stands, you know, with, with who can be louder there. Uh, but, you know, you, you mentioned the, the last two games being close. It's weird, and this goes back to early season college football in general. Buffalo beats a Temple team this past weekend. It's like, oh, maybe Buffalo's not as bad as we thought they were after they lost to Liberty. And then Pitt beats UCF. Yeah. So now what do we know about anybody? And that's nothing. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where those, those two losses could end up looking pretty – or those two wins, excuse me, could end up looking pretty good by the end of the year for Penn State. Uh, I'll be interested to see how true that is. I, I – I'm being honest, I don't know, because I, I was stunned that Pitt beat UCF after how they played against Penn State, and I was stunned that, you know, Buffalo beat Temple after how they played against Liberty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and well, Narduzzi needed that, I mean, oh, just yeah. for, for job security. I mean, I know it happened two weeks ago, but I think every week we should just revisit that fourth and one call just to remind everyone how stupid, idiotic, and cowardly it was. Those are my three favorite adjectives with that play call. We should we never should, forget. We should spend five minutes every week and just call it Narduzzi's Corner and let's just talk about what dumb play call he made. And it'll just be that one. It doesn't ever have to change. It can just be that one. But yeah, I mean, somehow they found a way against UCF in a game that they probably had no business winning. They came out big early on, too. And, you know, that's a resume booster for Penn State, I think, in the oh, end. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, maybe, you know, we, we talk about, like, oh, Penn State's underwhelming a little bit. Maybe not. Maybe these teams were, were better than we thought. You know, they're going to uh, – maybe Penn State's going to be better off. I still tend to think that they're not as good as we thought they were going to be. Uh, and, you know, we both – we wrote about this last week in our – know round table about how yeah, we actually sort of, found some common ground john which was was kind of groundbreaking just unbelievable it's been what a month and a half here and i think we agreed that time and that time only but yeah no it's it's true you know it's a it's a weird situation with penn state not being as good as we thought and also looking like they're going to do better uh, i think this is this week's the start of that uh you know when they play maryland because they'll obviously have purdue following that and you know if they can get those two wins then you got some some real momentum going with their their three-game stretch of, of course, Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State. But, you know, to jump back to Maryland real quick. Well, just, I mean, you know, to clarify, you know, the, the common ground we, we found, I know you alluded to it a little bit, but, you know, we both think that Penn State isn't playing as well as we thought they were, but we also think the Big Ten is a lot worse than we thought that would be, too. I mean, Michigan, my goodness, we both picked Wisconsin to win. We had no faith in Michigan, but to see them get shellacked like that, I mean, Penn State should – probably beat this team by double digits too. I mean, this was a, a game that before the season, 
I chalked up as a loss. I'm, I'm, I'm not chalking it up oh, as a too. loss anymore. Yeah, no, and I think that's perfectly fair. And we saw it with Michigan State when they lost to Arizona State. You've got several teams here that just aren't meeting expectations. And Penn State isn't either, but they're closer to those expectations than those, those two teams were. And I think they're putting themselves in a position to win, you know, a double-digit games here after I don't think we thought that was that realistic at the beginning of the year. I think we thought it was possible, just not a real outcome given the, the difficulty of the schedule. But like I said, that, that starts with Maryland this week. They've got to win this game. Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively big game just because it is the first Big Ten game of the year. And they've, you know, you can't afford to have, you know, we talk about how much momentum they're gaining because the rest of the Big Ten isn't doing well. Well, if that's all halted with a loss this week, nothing matters. You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe they are losing to Michigan. Maybe they are losing to Michigan State if they can't beat this Maryland team. Uh, and I think that that formula for beating this Maryland team is sort of make their quarterback, Josh Jackson, beat you. Uh, Temple did that two weeks ago, and Jackson couldn't do it. I believe he finished 15 of 38 passing, uh, just was brutal all game long. And that's, you know, that's why Loxley tried to get Anthony McFarland in the end zone from fourth and uh, fourth and goal from the one. But still, you know, Jackson has got to be better for Maryland. Uh, I think that the quarterbacks are going to dictate how this matchup goes. I, I don't think Jackson is good, uh, but I also know that Clifford has struggled a little bit to start this year. And, you know, I'll be interested to see who wins that battle, and I think that could dictate who ends up winning the game. Yeah, I mean, I think you could go, you know, just as easily go on the other side and look at the running games. Uh, you know, obviously that's where, where Maryland has their explosive players. You know, Anthony McFarland has been – kind of a highlight reel waiting to happen in the Big Ten. I mean, he's had some big games against good Big Ten teams. And, you know, even with uh, – they they just lost Funk for, for the season, but they still have – I mean, you have uh, uh, Lorenzo Harrison who's coming back, you know, off of an injury. He missed 10 games last season, but he can be explosive at times. We should see more of him on Friday. And you also have Javon Leak, who he's a little bit bigger than Anthony McFarland. I think he's – I want to say maybe a little bit more in the, the Noah Kane mold in, in terms of uh, his body size. But, you know, th th there are, are two very good running backs for Maryland. And at Penn State, obviously, uh, you know, they have four running backs. They're still trying to, to kind of settle on a rotation. It seems like Journey Brown is obviously tops there. But, I mean, you, you, need, you need someone to take charge here right now. I, I think both of these teams are still trying to find their, their offensive identities to an extent. Yeah, no, I, I think you're you're 100% right on that. And I think it's going to be really interesting with Maryland here. Uh, they've got, you know, McFarland, who's 5'9", 198, and, you know, generally a smaller back. And they're asking him to run the ball a lot. He carried the ball 26 times for 132 yards against Temple. I mean, for a guy that size, that is a ton of carries. That's a ton of work. Uh, you know, we were talking before the podcaster. He's on pace to almost double his output for carries this year. And they're only, you know, three games in. He had a couple games where he got to take it easy because they played Howard and, beat Howard and beat them 70 to nothing. So, you know, we're looking at a situation with Anthony McFarland where he could he's, – he's being treated like a workhorse back. And I don't know if that's what's best for him in the long run. Uh, you know, he – he's small and like guys don't run the ball 26 times a game anymore because it's not, it's not good for their bodies. They tend to not hold up as well. So it'll be interesting to see how long he holds up and, you know, if he can come out of this not banged up after a while of just getting all these carries. And I think they are going to have to beat Penn state by running the ball. And, you know, maybe we just see more Javon leak, like you mentioned because of that, but you know, maybe it really is just McFarland again, going at it. And with this Penn state defensive line and how massive it is, he might have a harder time than he did against Temple, against Syracuse, against Howard. He, like I said, he's a small guy. He's shifty, and he can, you know, when he hits the hole, he hits it hard, and he can get downhill quickly. But it's just a matter of, you know, him being able to get there without, you know, 
uh, getting caught up, I guess, uh, you know, caught up in the wash, so to speak, in, in, in the offensive and defensive line. Yeah, I mean, with, with McFarland, though, it, it may be too many carries. He, he may not be on a good pace right now. But, you know, th- it's early in the year. And like you said before, I mean, this is a rivalry atmosphere for Maryland. I mean, if they need to give this guy 40 carries this game to win this game, I mean, that's what they'll do. I mean, this is a win-at-all-costs game. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, you're looking at the season outlook for Maryland, you absolutely have to have this guy on some sort of snap count. But I think for this game, you don't concern yourself with that. You know, you need to concern yourself with picking up first downs, moving the ball, and, and doing that however you can. If, if he can handle a big workload, you know, give it to him. And, and you know, if he had 26 carries against Temple, if he's doing well against Penn State, I, I wouldn't expect them to be like, okay, Anthony, you know what? It was a good game today, but but you hit your, your play count of 15, so, so take a seat on the bench. I mean, I don't think either of us think that's going to happen. It, it's really going to come down to, can – can Penn State remain, you know, gap accountable? Will, will this defense get burned by, by Maryland's speed? And, you know, in the past, they, they haven't been. Uh, and they've had, you know, players and playmakers who were just as fast. But the, the difference this time is obviously there's a new head coach this year in Mike Loxley, and there's a new quarterback under center. So, you know, this is not going to be the same offense that we saw Penn State dominate the last two seasons, which should make Friday night a little bit more entertaining. Yeah, and I think, you know, like I said, they're going to be relying on that run game. And I think you're right. You know, they're not going to put put uh, McFarlane on a snap count or anything like that. I'll just be interested to see how quickly they almost, you know, go run exclusive if Josh Jackson isn't playing well again. You know, if he plays as poorly as he did against Temple, you, they might run the ball 40, 50 times. Uh, and they might have to to win the game because Jackson was brutal against Temple. Uh, it was the first real defense he faced all year, too. And, you know, McFarlane's, you know, I mentioned his carries. They've really ramped up. He only had six against Howard. He only had 14 against Syracuse, but those were blowouts. You know, maybe that pace isn't where it's actually going to be. Maybe he's going to get 250, 300 carries this year, and this is the start of that. And, you know, I think it's the right formula for, for them trying to win football games. I don't know if it's the best formula for his long-term health and his long-term, long-term stability as a football player, maybe, you know, going on to the next level as well. But, you know, I think it's what they're going to try and do to win games. And, I'll be interested to see if it works this week because I, I really don't know. Uh, seeing how well he did against Temple has to be encouraging for Maryland fans, but also knowing that ja- they did it because Jackson was, a, you know, brutal is the only way to put it against Temple has got to be concerning. And, you know, you wonder what game plan they're going to come out with uh, to, try and, to try and succeed against a Penn State defense that, you know, for as much as we, you know, complain about the pass rush and say it hasn't been good, they've still been good against the run and they've stuffed teams uh, against the run. So, you know, if McFarland can't get going on the ground and they're relying on Jackson, I think you know, the Terrapins might be in for a really, really long Friday night. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly could be. It's going to be an interesting battle Friday night. And, uh, uh, you know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm especially curious to see what Maryland does on offense. I mean, you know, we've seen, you know, Penn State figure this team out in the past. So, I mean, that's the kind of the one wild card, you know, this season. Yeah, no, I, I uh, totally agree with you there. Uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting, too, to see Penn State on offense this week. We, we mentioned – you mentioned the, uh, the run game for Penn State and that it seems to be Journey Browns to, to lose at this point. Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how much they use Ricky Slade, who isn't all that different, you know, stature-wise from Anthony McFarland. And, you know, uh, he, he's going to be sort of a, a problem for Penn State if he's not producing on his carries. And we could see those, uh, those touches slowly reduce. And, but, when you say, you know, could be a problem, can you clarify, what, what do you mean by that? 
Yeah. If, I mean, if they feel obligated to give him touches, you know, if they feel obligated to give him the touches to keep him around, I should say, and, you know, not have him leave after this year or to sort of keep him happy, then you have a guy who's out there not producing because that's what he's been so far uh, in the passing game. He obviously had the big angle route last week to, to get, I think it was around 40 yards, but you know, it, it's not going to be something that's consistently part of his game because if everyone knows that they're passing when he comes on the field, that's the problem. You know, they, they need to have backs out there who can be a threat in both situations. And if Slade can't be effective running the ball, then you're sort of almost wasting his, his snaps when he's out there. And, and you're almost looking at just going exclusively to a three-man rotation, which might be their best bet at this point. I guess I'll say this about Penn State's playmakers on offense. It's not even really the running back rotation that concerns me. And it's interesting to me, James Franklin talked about, you know, no back has really separated himself yet. I mean, BS. I mean, yeah, yeah. Journey Brown has. Uh, he has separated himself. Now, I don't think he's done well enough to warrant like, okay, hey, let's get rid of the entire running back rotation we spent the entire offseason talking about. But – you know, if, if Ricky Slade doesn't do well, I mean, we saw that he didn't, you know, lead the team in carries last, you know, two weeks ago. Uh, you know, like, I, I think if he struggles, Penn State's going to be okay. Ricky Slade isn't, but Penn State's going to be okay. You know, they have enough explosive players there. But where I'm, I'm, I'm really looking at touches and where I actually think is more important is, is K.J. Hamler. Um, I mean, you look at him on offense – I think – can we both agree that he is the most electric playmaker that Penn State has right now? Yeah, and I don't think it's particularly close <laughs> yeah. either. Okay, I just want to make sure we've, we've got, you know, keeping our common ground. Hey, uh, that's two today. Streak, streak alive. Uh, we'll have to see if we can find a third. But, <laughs> no, I mean, when you look at K.J. Hamler, I mean, all offseason it was, oh, you know, we need to get this guy more touches. He's electric. You heard from wide receiver coach Jared Parker. We heard – I mean, how after the Buffalo game and his post game, James Franklin said, you know, we need to get K.J. Hamler the ball more. Um, uh, again, Tuesday, James Franklin said, we need to get KJ Hamler the ball more. This is something we have heard several times all damn year. And he has 10 catches and one carry. He is on pace to have fewer offensive touches than he did last year. Now I know it's early, but I don't understand how we can keep saying he needs touches and then you don't give him touches. Like I, I get, you know, I'm sure Penn State's response would be, you need to take what the defense is giving you. But I am quite certain that Purdue and Rondale Moore, teams are aware of him every damn week. But, you know, Jeff Brom still finds a way to get it to Rondale Moore. And, you know, talking to Big Ten defensive backs in Chicago for Big Ten Media Days and asking them about Hamler, the, the comparison has always been, yeah, you know, he, he's a lot like Rondale Moore. If I had to rank you know, slot receivers in the Big Ten is Rondale more than is K.J. Hamler. That's what one Big Ten defensive back told me. So it's just amazing to me Rondale Moore can have 10 catches in a game and, you know, we're through three weeks here, including one against Idaho, and Hamler has 10 total catches. And I want to say he had five or six touches against Idaho. So really the last two games, you know, it's been about five touches combined, which when you have a talent like him, I just think has been inexcusable and just, you know, Reason number 432, why Ricky Ronnie's not a great offensive coordinator. Yeah, and, you know, I think the really interesting thing here is that they're almost treating him like he's exclusively a deep threat, which is probably the worst way to use K.J. Hamler. Uh, I understand that he's got, you know, world-class speed and he can get down the field better than anybody on the team, uh, as quickly as anyone on the team, I should say. But, you know, he's an electric playmaker. He's not just a deep threat. Uh, he should be getting the ball underneath. This is what Rondale Moore and uh, Purdue do all the time. They, they get him the ball underneath 
they find a way to get him the ball in drags and maybe in the backfield, uh, maybe on screens, uh, whatever, whatever you can think of to get him the ball within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Purdue does it with Rondell Moore. That's what Penn State needs to do with KJ Hamler. He's at the at his best when he has the ball in his hands. That's why he's a returner for the team. I mean, he he's a legitimate electric playmaker. And the, the fact that you're sort of like, you know, uh, we'll just have him run 12 post routes a game and try and find him on four of those. Like, uh, that's that's just criminal misuse of KJ Hamler's ability. Uh, he needs to get the ball underneath. He needs to have it in his hands. He needs to be allowed to make plays. That's what he does best. He's not a deep threat. Like, he's – I mean, he is, but he's – that's not why you should – or how you should be using him. Uh, he needs to – you know, when – when teams are backed off of him off on the line of scrimmage, they need to get the ball to him quickly. They need quick counts and get the ball fired out to him and get him going downfield because that's how you beat a team, uh, you know, with that kind of playmaker. And I, like you said with Ricky Ronnie, I mean, this is just, I mean, it's like I said, it's mis- criminal misuse of KJ Hamler. And it's just, you know, another feather in his cap as a, a poor offensive coordinator that is honestly underutilizing an offense that has a lot of weapons. I mean, you know, even go back to last season, uh, you know, Miles Sanders was not utilized in the passing game at all. And, and at uh, at least one occasion, I think multiple occasions last year, James Franklin acknowledged, yeah, you know, we need to get him involved more in the passing game. And I think there was one game, one flash in the pan that Miles Sanders had a couple catches and then it went back to the same old, same old. I mean, it when when you have a playmaker and you can't get the ball to him, I mean, you can't just blame the opposing defense. I mean, there, there are playmakers all across the Big Ten and – you know, the team, the teams find a way to get their playmakers the ball. I mean, it's, I mean, it's easy to say it's a lot more difficult to implement, but I mean, geez, I mean, you look at, you know, Wisconsin's Jonathan Taylor, you look at, I mean, you know, Maryland's Anthony McFarland, uh, you know, Purdue's Rondale Moore, uh, you know, like these teams, you know, these offensive coordinators make sure they've got a way, you know, to game plan, to get him the ball, to get touches because, what happens when they get touches? Good things can happen. He can turn a zero-yard gain into, a, you know, a 90-yard touchdown. I mean, James Franklin has said that this is the fastest team he has ever had. And K.J. Hamler is the fastest player on his fastest team. I mean, he's a big play waiting to happen, which is why he should have more than, you know, 11 touches in three games. Yeah. Again, I feel like I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here at – the thing is, Penn State, I don't think, disagrees with me. No fans disagree with me. Everyone agrees this guy needs more more touches. So, damn it, give him more touches. Yeah, Just give him the damn ball. It, I mean, it says a lot about his talents that he still has 245 receiving yards uh, and 261 total yards on the year on, you know, 11 touches. That's yeah, like 25 yards a catch – or 25 yards a catch. 25 yards a catch almost. I mean, that speaks to his big play potential and just how much he is being underutilized. Yeah, and it's – like you said, it's – I don't think anyone would disagree with this. Then why isn't it happening? Like that's, and it's, I mean, you, you have to point to Ricky Ronnie because it seems to be why it's not happening. And, you know, you wonder what, what's going to change this week against Maryland. Maybe they were holding stuff back. I, you know, I doubt it, but you never know. That could be the excuse. Uh, Maybe Jared Parker speaks up in the team meeting. It's like, Hey guys, you know, we need like five, you know, package plays where, where Hamler's, you know, the guy, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, when Parker and Ronnie have talked before, you know, we've asked them about, you know, how, how, how do you decide, you know, who's getting the ball or what plays go to who, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they say, you know, the, the response was, you know, the game plan together, you know, each week. And if that's the case, I mean, you know, Ronnie's not making the right call here. Someone needs to step up. Just like when Pat Narduzzi was going for the field goal on fourth and one, some player <laughs> or some coach needed to step up and be like, 
you are making the wrong decision. We need to fix this bad decision. Let's do it together. Instead of just like, okay, go do your thing. You're the boss. Yeah, no, and it's pretty brutal with it. You know, <laughs> as long as you keep bringing up Narduzzi, I'm going to keep laughing because it continues to be funny. Uh, but, you know, with, with Handler, it's a serious issue because they need to get him the ball. They, they absolutely have to get him the ball for this offense, offense to reach its potential and for Sean Clifford to reach his potential because K.J. Handler can really boost his passing yards, uh, Clifford's passing yards, that is, just by, you know, catching a ball on a slant route and going 80 yards down the field for a touchdown. Uh, you know, and and because Clifford right now doesn't have a ton of other weapons, you know, Journey Brown in the run game has been good. Devin Ford's been good. Uh, Noah Kane's been good, but they can't – they're not on the field enough to really get going – uh, and with these scripted, you know, with, when these guys come into games, you know, it's tough for them to get a rhythm because if a guy gets into a rhythm and then his next, the next drive isn't his, his just because they don't have it, you know, set as being his, then it's tough to get into that rhythm. You know, if, if Noah Kane has that long drive and then Ricky Slade comes in right afterwards, Noah Kane's going to be totally out of rhythm again. You know, you got to re-get him going. Uh, and, and I think that's contributing to this offensive struggles too. Uh, there's no it, it honestly seems like there's too much substitution I think they need to substitute they need to you know continue to bring in fresh legs to keep these guys uh, ready all season and all game uh, but you know I think they're overdoing it at this point we're seeing guys that we probably shouldn't see as much uh, on the field uh, Slade is the perfect example uh, I mean he's got as many rushing yards as Will Levis this year and 23 fewer than Nick Fury so you know it says a lot about how he's Nick performing Fury is underrated that was one of the best runs I've ever seen at his <laughs> touchdown run so I mean, and Slate has one more touch than those two combined, for the record. It's it's or one more carry, I should say. But it's I mean, at that point, you he can't be played. So you've got to let Brown, you know, uh, Kane and Ford get into a rhythm out there. And you can't script these running back series. You you know, there's an emotional aspect of the, of the game of football, and you've got to be able to know who's got the hot hand and ride with them. And if and if they cool off, then they cool off, and you you know you go back to your script. But for the time being, you know, it's I don't think that's a good way to handle these running backs. Do you? No, but I, I mean, I feel like that's kind of been the game plan. I mean, they've said that they kind of go in and, you know, they try to, you know, adjust, uh, you know, as the game goes on. But it might be like, oh, oh okay, you know what, Journey Brown, we're, we're going to play him the first two series and then uh, we'll do two series for Journey. Then we'll do one for Noah, one for Devin, and then we'll go, you know, back to, you know, uh, uh, Journey. But you know, yeah, I think there needs to be more adjustment. And James Franklin essentially said as much, uh, you know, two weeks ago when Noah Kane has, is, is there for one drive, has like, what, I think it was, you know, between 53 and 68 yards on a single drive, you know, single-handedly takes Penn State in for what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown. And then we never see him again. And James Franklin, you know, acknowledges kind of like, yeah, you know, that was a mistake. And you know, at least there was some acknowledgement there that, yeah, it would have been good to put him in at the end of the game. And hopefully Penn State learns from that. And, you know, we see a little bit different game plan against Maryland. And if it doesn't change, I think it just kind of speaks to, you know, again, kind of the incompetence of this offense. But we'll see. It's amazing. There's so much talent here. And I feel like every season since Joe Moorhead has just been underachievement. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it's, you know, becoming habitual now where this team has a ton of talent, a ton to look forward to, a ton of weapons to use, and they just don't get used properly, and then the offense underachieves. Uh, you know, you've got a quarterback that that has real talent, that, you know, has some camaraderie with these guys and just, you know, isn't getting them the ball in the right situations. You know, part of that is on Clifford, too. He gets a little skittish in the pocket. Uh, you know, if his first or second read isn't there, he panics a little bit. Uh, he gets happy feet, and he can run into his own offensive lineman sometimes, and you know, that's a, a recipe for disaster. But, you know, it's 
it's an offense that should be far better than it is. And, you know, just based on the talent it has. And right now it seems like across the board, it's been, you know, guys underachieving with the exception of Hamler, who is doing what he can with the touches he gets. He's just not getting the touches right now. And I don't, you know, I think this weekend's matchup could tell us a lot about the offense because the Maryland defense has been good so far this year, uh, but they've, you know, allowed guys to pass, you know, pretty well against them. If Clifford struggles Friday night, I think that's a pretty bad sign for the rest of the season. I, I think that, that that's fair to say. I would like to take a, a brief timeout here, John, just to let people know in case you hear, you know, uh, some some coughing in the background. Uh, you know, I'd like to apologize for that. That's me. I'm, I'm fighting a cold here, trying to tough it out. And, uh, you know, I'm running off to the side when John's talking. So, you know, apologies there. But, you know, you don't need to, uh, you know, adjust your headphones or your volume. And in case you hear some background noise, there's there's no one sneaking up behind you. That that I'm afraid is is me. But, you know, we, we don't talk injuries here on the podcast. So hopefully, you know, we, we drink our milk and we'll be 100% next week. Hey, that's the best way to handle it, honestly. You just keep drinking milk. That's the way you keep yourself healthy. Uh, been doing it for 24 years now. <laughs> but, but anyways, you know, back to, back to this game. Let's flip to the other side of the ball in, in, in Penn State's defense, a defense that has looked good, but, you know, has been put in some bad situations by its offense this year and a pass rush that's been non-existent. Now, Josh Jackson struggled last week, struggled big time. Uh, he's, a, he's a big guy. He's a mobile quarterback. But, you know, you can bring him down because he will, you know, occasionally put you in a spot where you can get an easy sack. And this should be a relative breakout game for this defensive line. And again, it's one of those things where, you know, if they struggle, then it's like, okay, is this pass rush what we thought it was going to be? You know, and before we, you know, heading into the season, this was supposed to be the strength of this team. I don't, I don't think you would argue with that. At least defense line was supposed to be the one position group that was undeniably. Oh, yeah. You know, front seven, you know, especially defensive line, especially the defensive ends who, I mean, I think they have some third stringers who might start, uh, you know, on other Big Ten teams. Yeah, and, and they've, they've struggled to get to the quarterback so far this year. Uh, this is a matchup that should be conducive to them doing so. And so if they can do that, if they can get get pressure on Josh Jackson, I think that the defense should be in for a good day. Uh, force McFarland to get that many carries, you know, force him to be worn out by the fourth quarter. Uh, make it tougher for him to beat you on big plays because he's a little more tired. The legs are moving a little bit slower. Uh, but but they've got to get to the quarterback. I mean, that's what this defense is predicated on, this front four being able to get there with a four-man rush and allowing, you know, the back seven to cover and just basically, you know, it, it could equate to a coverage sack, but it's really because this defensive line is, is that good, you know. Uh, this team needs to be able to drop as many guys into coverage as it can and get some pressure. Right now, that's not been there, and I don't, you know, it's something we've talked about before. We did see, a, at least in the second half against right. it, they certainly turned it up. Uh, but, yeah, the first half was was not good. Yeah, and I, I think it's something that, you know, we sort of expect to rectify itself. There's no reason to believe, you know, that uh, they're not going to be an elite pass rush you know, come year's end. I just think right now they're struggling for whatever reason. And uh, do you think, you know, this will be something that this is a week that they can sort of get back on track there? Well, I mean, they've certainly got to get tra- kind of get back on track at some point. Uh, I think it's, it's almost kind of like looking at the Packers offense, uh, you know, in the NFL. You know, you've got all these stars, you've got, you know, all this experience, all this talent, and you just think, well, they've, they've got to put it all together at some point. And, you know, unlike offense, you know, defensively, I mean, Sean Spencer's a great, you know, position coach, Brent Price, a group, you know, a great defensive coordinator. You know, these are great players who've proven themselves. I mean, Gross Montos, you know, didn't get a reputation for being a potential top 10 NFL draft pick next year for, for not doing anything. You know, he had, you know, 20 tackles for loss last year. So, everything that we've seen, you know, we, we, we've kind of seen that Penn State has the potential to put this all together. And I expect them to put it all together. The answer isn't, 
you know, uh, if it's going to happen, it's when. And Friday seems as, as good a time as any, especially when you've got the bye week, you, you know, you're able to shore up some things. And again, it's, it's not as if, I wouldn't say the pass rush has been completely non-existent. We've seen it, you know, in flashes, we just haven't seen it consistently. So, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I would, I would expect the defensive line to put forth uh, a night to remember on, on Friday. And if they don't, I, I would be surprised. Yeah. And I think if they do, uh, you know, get that kind of pressure on Josh Jackson, they're probably going to be in an excellent position to blow out this Maryland team. Uh, you know, if they can't get their passing game going a little bit, then, you know, Penn State will be able to stack the box with eight and just focus on stuffing Javon Lee, Anthony McFarlane, the rest of the Maryland run game. And if Penn State's able to do that, Maryland's going to struggle to score. And I think we could reach this, you know, this game could reach blowout levels. Uh, I, you know, I think it's possible that that happens even without a good Penn State defensive line. But I think that's going to be the key for it to getting there. Uh, and, you know, if, if they're able to force some turnovers too, if they're able to, you know, make Josh Jackson get rid of the ball quicker than he wants to because he's, you know, sort of feeling a rush that isn't there because they're getting uh, to him so quickly, then, you know, it puts the Penn State back seven in a position where they can, you know, cause those turnovers, get some interceptions. You know, they, they're more than capable of getting strip sacks. They're very good at getting the quarterback's arm when it's up and he's ready to throw. Uh, you know, if they do that, if they, they can force some turnovers against this Maryland team, Maryland is susceptible uh, to losing those type of games. And I think, you know, ultimately, we're going to see a Penn State team that's ready to come out of the bye and, you know, come out a little bit frustrated, and that'll show Friday night a little bit angry with how they've played uh, as far as a pass rush. And I, I think we'll see them have a huge game Friday night, and I think that will be the key to, you know, winning this game in, in a big fashion and ultimately getting this this sort of conference slate going for, for Penn State and, you know, put them in a spot where, like we mentioned earlier, they can really get some momentum going into that, that three-game stretch that's probably going to be their hardest stretch of all season well yeah well, what do you say we just go right into the to the game predictions here John Sauber uh you know uh you know kind of moving forward here so you know I know we I feel like we've, we've covered a lot of ground so I'm gonna pose the question to you because I feel like you get to have all the questions you know I want to put <laughs> you on the spot here a little bit final score and why Whew. I will go with Penn State 38, Maryland 21. Uh, Maryland only scores on the ground uh, will be, you know, a little nice little toss and I'll throw there. I just think Penn State's pass rush will break out. They'll force turnovers. Maryland, I think a lot of that 21 will be garbage time too. Like I wouldn't be surprised if everyone's like, oh, really they were up 38 to 7, 38 to 14, and Maryland tacked on a score or two at the end to make it closer than it was. Uh, I just I just think Penn State's better than Maryland is at this point. If the pass rush gets going, then, you know, they're going to be in a position where they can win this game easily. So, you know, back to you. What do you, th what do you think this one ends up yeah, as? You know, I'm kind of leaning to 31-14 to Penn State because, I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly – I'm not sold on, on Maryland's, you know, defense. And we talked before, if you look at, at the stats alone, uh, yeah, they've, they've got a, a top 10, top 15 rush defense. But, you know, as you pointed out, uh, you know, before we did this podcast – uh, there, there's kind of some fun with numbers there just because uh, um, Maryland was, uh, you know, the passing game they were, they were picked on a little bit, um, you know, and, and certainly uh, the, the uh, yards they allowed uh, once you took out the, the sacks um, was, was pretty substantial um, and not at all uh, very impressive. So, so yeah, I, I would expect, uh, Maryland's, you know, offensively, you know, like we said before, they, they have some speedster guys, they have some playmakers. I see Maryland, you know, uh, you know, putting at least one touchdown together, you know, on off of a long game, you know, they've got that kind of explosiveness, you know, sometimes you just can't defend, 
you know, playmaking ability, which is why Penn State needs to get KJ Hamler the ball. Um, you know, and, but on the flip side, you know, because I'm not sold on Maryland's defense, I see Penn State being able to put up points, you know, especially coming off the bye week, being able to shore up some issues they've had, like the KJ Hamler touches, like the pass rush. And I feel like when you put that all together, you know, Penn State is uh, about a two touchdown, two touchdowns better than the Terps. Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned, that Penn State or that Maryland rush defense isn't as good as advertised. Uh, they, the pass rush has helped them, you know, rack up a few stats there or a few sacks there, excuse me, that have contributed to the negative rush yards uh, and makes them look better than they are. But, you know, of course, you can find that prediction and the rest of our predictions this week in the Senate Daily Times, as always. Uh, you, myself, Laura Muthler, Brett Pilato, uh, and, you know, Nate Cobbler will be predicting all the games this week uh, in the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple, Pod- uh, Apple Podcasts, excuse me, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, if you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's Center Daily spelled C-E-N-T-R-E and then daily. Uh, and, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at by Josh Moyer and uh, at John Sauber. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.